Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Barcelona enters the Europa League quarterfinals today in some of the best form that they've been in since Lionel Messi's departure. Xavi's tactical approach as manager is part of the reason for that, as is the continued presence of Sergi Busquets. Our friends at the Athletic Football Tactics podcast break it all down today. From The Athletic, I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer Every Day for Thursday, April 7th. First, as usual, your TV guide for today, all times are Eastern. The first game of the day actually is on the women's side. The Women's World Cup qualifiers are happening in UEFA, and there are a bunch of them actually happening, but only one is on US TV or streaming, and that is Norway versus Kosovo at 12 p.m. on Paramount+. Plus. Norway is well on their way to winning their particular qualification group. Kosovo is not. After that, we move on to the Europa League, as I mentioned in the intro. We're at the quarterfinals, the first leg at 12.45 p.m., RB Leipzig hosting Atalanta. That should be a really fun one between two sides that like to run a lot. Uh, That is on Paramount Plus at 12.45 p.m. At 3 p.m., three games, Eintracht Frankfurt hosting Barcelona. You'll obviously hear much more about that game coming up. Also on Paramount Plus, also at 3 p.m., West Ham United hosting Olympique Lyon. And and at 3 p.m., also the third game, Sporting Braga versus Rangers. That is also on Paramount Plus. Later on today, we have the some more U.S. Open Cup games. Uh, I will never get tired of reading some of these club names. I'm sorry. I know I go, I go on about it every single time these names come up, but I just love them. The first one is actually a name I don't love because it's not the Rochester Raging Rhinos. It is Rochester, New York. That is Jamie Vardy's club. They take on Lansdowne Yonkers at 4 p.m. on ESPN+. At 7 p.m., we have three games, Chattanooga versus Memphis 901, Greenville Triumph versus Oakland Roots, and Hartford Athletic versus Oyster Bay United. All of those are on ESPN Plus at 8 p.m. Birmingham Legion versus Southern States on ESPN Plus at 10.30 p.m. Two games, California United Strikers versus San Fernando Valley, and then Sacramento Republic versus Portland Timbers U23. That is obviously the Timbers U23 team, but I have to say that they have been hilariously referred to in the guide I used to look up some of these games as Portland Timbers 3. I just can't wait until they come up with Portland Timbers 4. In South America, the Copa Libertadores group stage continues at 6 p.m. Fortaleza versus Colo Colo, 8 p.m. Estudiantes versus Vélez Sarsfield, and at 10 p.m. The Strongest versus Libertad. In Liga Emekis tonight, actually kind of a huge game, Pachuca versus Tigres. Those guys are one and two in the league right now. So if you watch one sports game tonight, you should probably make it that one because a really good high stakes Liga Emekis team between two good teams is pretty much too good to pass up every single time. That is on Tude Ene at 8 p.m. It is followed at 10 p.m. by more Liga Emekis action, Atlas versus Necaxa, also on Tude Ene. 
Of course, I got through all these games without even mentioning that the AFC Asian Champions League gets started today, at least the games on the west side of the continent. They separate these games west and east because Asia is obviously kind of a huge continent, uh, and they separate the group stages that way. So we start with the west side today, uh, so that means clubs from the Middle East and elsewhere in the region. Uh, all these games are in a centralized location in Saudi Arabia. But despite that, they're still double round robin. So every team plays uh, six games in their four team groups, which is a little confusing. I don't know why they did that when it's kind of a neutral site for this, but whatever. At 1.15 p.m., we have Fulad, who are from Iran, versus Algarafa, who are from Qatar. That is on Paramount+. Plus. And then at 1.15 p.m. also, we have Paktakor from Uzbekistan versus Sepahan, also from Iran, also on Paramount+. Plus. The second window of game starts at 4.15 p.m. We have Ahal from Turkmenistan. Just in case you want to see the best team from Turkmenistan play in a game, you can do that today at 4.15 p.m. On Paramount+, Plus. they'll be playing Shabab Al-Ali, who are from Dubai. Also at 4.15 p.m., Al-Duhail versus Al-Tawan. Al-Duhail is from Qatar, and Al-Tawan is from Saudi Arabia. Some interesting names on the Al-Duhail roster and bench. On the roster, defender, Toby Alderwild, you might know him from his stint at Tottenham. Alduhail and Qatar is his next club. This team is managed by none other than Hernan Crespo, of all people. I just love when these names pop up in the Middle East. All right, with that, let's move on to the Athletic Football Tactics podcast discussion about Xavi and his version of Barcelona, which you can see playing today. Michael... You told us a few months ago upon his appointment that Xavi and Qatar had played at times with a three at the back system. Uh, he hadn't been a disciple of what might be considered a Barcelona style of play elsewhere. Uh, in the early days at Barca, he chopped formation a little bit, perhaps as John alluded to, because he didn't necessarily have the wingers that he was after available to him. Because of that, uh, despite his strong links to the club and despite the club's strong links to the 4-3-3 basic shape and formation it didn't feel like everything pointed to that being the formation of choice but in the end all roads did lead to 4-3-3 yeah I think it's basically getting his his key players and roles where they're most comfortable um and there's a couple of players you can say are particularly key with that one is Sergio Busquets who obviously was a long-time teammate of Xavi um, and has at times played in a double pivot, but I think he's always been most comfortable in that role in front of the defence. And even though they are, there are some elements of his game that feel increasingly uh, questionable, I mean, he really can't cover ground. And when he's defending counter-attacks, it, it is... Um, I mean, he just looks so slow, to be honest. Uh, and that's been an issue in previous classicos. But he's still very good on the ball and very good at organising the side and very good, I think, at directing the play with his passes, which is particularly crucial on the side that wants to kind of switch the play quite quickly. Um, and he's very good at certain types of passes. I mean, his disguised pass into the front players is, is very effective. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's a great surprise that he's landed back on 4-3-3. But I think even if this wasn't Barcelona and you just had this combination of players at another club, you would look at that and probably think this is a squad that suits 4-3-3. Those outside central midfielders, John, are crucial to what Xavi is trying to do um, with a bit more, well, with quite a lot of space to operate in because of the width being held by the wide players. Uh, talk to me more about the specific role of the outside central midfielders. More generally in recent weeks, that's been Frankie de Jong and Pedri. Of course, we've seen Gavi as well, the youngster in that role. Yeah, and Nico is sometimes uh, called in as well as sort of the fourth guy in that rotation. 
And each of these guys has slightly different qualities uh, personally, but all of them tend to be used in a fairly similar similar role in Javi's 433. Uh, he likes to push both of his central midfielders up between the lines, much higher than they used to play in the 433 uh, that Javi was part of, where he would drop, you know, from central midfield to alongside Busquets in the buildup, and he would kind of follow the ball through the stages of the buildup. That doesn't really happen with this Barcelona. The midfielders start between the lines, and sometimes, not sometimes, but frequently, they run beyond the line. And this is something that Frankie de Jong has always been good at, uh, despite you know kind of making his name as a deep-lying midfielder and being very good facing the game. He's also very good at making off-ball runs. It's not something that I thought that Pedri and Gavi would be good at, and maybe it's not something that comes naturally to them, but they picked it up very well. Even Ricky Pooj, you know, tiny little five foot six Ricky Pooj is making these depth runs. Uh, so it's clearly something that he is asking from his team tactically and not just something that's coming naturally from the way that these guys play. And what it does is it really stretches those lines out and it makes Busquets the creator. It, Donny Alves is frequently playing kind of alongside Busquets. And those guys are doing the, the real midfield creation while the central midfielders or who we think would be the central midfielders are either between the lines like number 10s or pushing beyond it as sort of auxiliary forwards. Uh, Michael, is this similar or identical to what might have been described as a free eight or two free eights previously? Uh, Kevin De Bruyne always springs to mind when I think of that expression. Yeah, there's elements of that. Certainly, it's pretty much a front five in possession. Um, it reminds me, those kind of runs from midfielders going in behind the opposition defence always remind me of the way that Ajax play. Um, it's been a key part of their game. You can go back to the 90s and, and see them making runs like that. But I think it's really difficult to stop that kind of run. Uh, I think it's something Tottenham did very well under under Pochettino, actually. Often Kane would be occupying one of the centre-backs and Deli Alley would just shift forward from midfield to get a long diagonal from one of the centre-backs. And there's always a question about who picks him up because it's a really difficult run for the midfielders to track. And if the defenders are being you know, brought to one side by the centre-forward, I think it's really easy, well, relatively easy, to get a player in behind almost one-on-one in those situations. So, yeah, there's a, there's certainly elements of, of Guardiola at Manchester City and, like I say, Ajax, classic Ajax sides, as well as uh, the Barcelona teams that Xavi played in. And it does mean, because they are, you know, there's proper spacing when Barca are in possession, big gaps between players. There's a few snapshots that I've seen in, in various articles from yourselves and from Dermot as well, where Busquets in the defensive midfield role, you know, he, he can be in a position with no teammates within about 10 metres of him as Barcelona are building up the ball here. It's, it's a real tightrope act. And I guess... Busquets is therefore as important as ever and it's it's lucky that he's really a sort of gold medal tightrope walker right because that role that he plays if not interpreted properly would cause a whole deck of cards to fall down John. It really is pretty remarkable how uh, durable Busquets has been as Barcelona has gone through this kind of shifting uh, shapes shifting coaches you know over the last few years as Cox said he's He's very slow. He's always been very slow. Uh, but, you know, in his in his mid-30s, he's not getting any quicker. Uh, and and so he was really suffering, I think, in a, in a lot of Barcelona's kind of more open shapes under previous coaches. And in this particular system, I think that he's there's you still see some of that, right? Barcelona still has trouble in rest defense. Uh, they still frequently give up quick transitions the other way because it's not just Busquets. It's also, you know, Piquet, Alba, Alves. All these guys are, are old and slow and uh, it's it's asking a lot, but 
you know, nobody can dislodge Busquets. Uh, Frankie DeYoung came in and people thought, oh, he's going to replace Busquets. Like that clearly didn't happen. Nico hasn't pl- replaced Busquets. Just the intelligence that he has in that six hole is irreplaceable, even when his physical qualities are lacking. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I have to admit, I was at the Camp Nou a couple of weeks ago to watch Barca beat Athletic Club 4-0, and I wasn't watching the game that closely tactically because I had enjoyed a long long Sunday afternoon and evening uh, of tapas and cerveza. But, Michael, I spent most of the game watching Busquets kind of mesmerised, as I did when you and I and our good friend Tom Warville were at the European Championship semi-final, Spain against Italy at Wembley over the summer. I spent a lot of the game thinking Busquets might be one of the best players ever and probably won't be heralded as such, maybe to the same extent as his former teammates Xavi Hernandez or Andres Iniesta. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, John was John was spot on. I mean, his... his durability and his longevity is, is quite remarkable, really. Um, and yeah, he's a wonderful player. It's, it, maybe it's a bit of a cliche to say about any player, but he is one of those players that wait, when you see them live, you realise the extent to which they understand space and the extent to which they are fooling opponents with almost everything they do. And yeah, he's he's the one player who it just feels like things are pivoting around him. I mean, with, with the two outside midfielders going forward with you know, the wing is so high up the pitch. Busquets is the one who has to sit there. And uh, yeah, I, without wanting to repeat the point, when they lose the ball, I do. I mean, there were three or four times in that first half against Real Madrid where they just had to resort to tactical fouls. I think maybe two. I think Busquets got booked. Frankie de Jong get, uh, got booked for a similar foul. Pedri would have got booked for another foul, but referee played advantage. They were a little bit desperate in that respect. But um, it's great to see him still going, Busquets. I mean, he's even when he was a young player when he first came into the side he played like an experienced player and to a certain extent he hasn't really changed his game over all these years and and is still going strong to be fair i think that tactical fouls are a standard part of the game plan for any team that plays a high line even your manchester cities your liverpools and and always barcelona as well it may be a little bit more desperate now as you said um but i I think that the tactical fouls themselves are, are not necessarily a bad thing it's just you know can can Busquets get in there to actually make the foul or does Vinny get by him first? No, I take your point. You know, I think if Pedri got that booking, it would have been all three of them booked within the first 35 minutes. And then obviously you can't do that again. But I do take your point. I mean, maybe it's something they need to work on in terms of being a bit more subtle about it. I mean, Liverpool are notable for the fact they basically never get players booked because they, I mean, they do tactical foul as, as all big clubs or all possession-based clubs do, but they don't do it quite... You know, they're not rugby tackling players like <laughs> like Barcelona kind of. This is put a, a subtle tactical foul and a heavy tactical yellow. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Well, it does raise an interesting question going forward, doesn't it? Because Busquets is 33 years old. He's had a very, very long career. His longevity, you know, his availability, his fitness has been amazing over that time as well. And, and he certainly looks the part. But if we're talking about one of Barcelona's quite clear and possibly unavoidable weaknesses in the current system being Busquets as the screener uh, struggling a little bit when the opposition teams are attacking in transition you know the perfect players 
who can both control the game as well as Busquets, who are as intelligent as Busquets, and also have all the physicality and the speed to cover the ground that perhaps he lacks. I don't know if many of those players exist, and I don't know if Barcelona can afford those players in the immediate future. But do you get the feeling that that might be something that they look towards? And if they did get someone who prioritised the defensive side of the game to tr- to shore them up a little bit, how much might they lose if they didn't have someone who could play make to the same extent as Busquets? Well, I think long-term, I think they've got the players already there hmm. um, because they have Pedri, they have Gavi and they have De Jong. And as John mentioned earlier, De Jong made his name really as a defensive midfielder, a very unusual one with Ajax who would come very deep and get the ball and really drive at opponents. Um, but I wonder what Xavi is thinking because he, liked, he clearly likes De Jong in these kind of roles. Pedri and Gavi are naturally more attack-minded players but we know what the kind of things Xavi will want from that holding midfield. And I don't think it's unreasonable to think that maybe any of the three could end up in the holding role. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, Xavi was actually a player who found his role when he shifted from being the deepest midfielder to the right centre midfielder mm. in the 4-3-3. But yeah, given what we know about Barcelona and their finances, although it must be said they did uh, enjoy a particularly good January transfer <laughs> window for a club who had almost been consigned to uh, shopping in Woolworths uh, bargain buckets for the next <laughs> few years... Um, yeah, the, the solution might well be that they already have them in the squad because they do have, yeah, three outstanding central midfielders. And if you want them all in the side when they're all fit and and hundred percent, maybe they could all be played together. I, I think it's worth noting that three or maybe four consecutive Barca coaches now have all uh, come in thinking that they have kind of a way to fit Frankie back into a defensive midfield role, and all have eventually landed on him as a center mid, usually on the right, running beyond the back line. That just seems to be what he does now. That seems to be how every coach likes to use him. And I think that's because his defensive midfield role at Ajax was so specialized and so unusual, and it just doesn't fit the system that Barcelona play right now. And so I think that I disagree that Barcelona has somebody who's going to step in for Busquets in that number six position uh, in the squad right now. They have a ton of good eight slash 10 players and nobody who really kind of can fit that role if they're going to keep playing the 4-3-3. Thanks to our friends at the Athletic Football Tactics podcast for that. If you want to listen to the full episode, which goes much more in depth on sort of the specific rotations you can find in midfield and up top and all over the place, it is available wherever you listen to podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, just like this one. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, and you can subscribe for $1 a month for six months by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. Thank you so much for listening, and happy soccer to you all.